episode of Teacher's Philosophy, your bi-weekly podcast where you can get information on authors and resources and everything that you need to know about teaching or may not know about teaching. And I'm so excited you guys have joined me. And like I said, it's my first episode and I am super excited to have this amazing author and fellow teacher. Maggie Faye is a mom of two boys and lives in Milton, Ontario, Canada. Maggie is a public school educator for students with autism and developmental disabilities. In addition to her teaching degree, Maggie has a degree in disability studies from Ryerson University. She has a passion for inclusion and removing attitude barriers and hallway connections is her first book. So Maggie, welcome to Teacher's Philosophy. Thank you, Grace. It's an honor to be asked to be one of your first guests. Thank you so much. I am so excited. So before we start into this, I just want to ask, we get more into it. Where did you get the idea for the book, first and foremost? No, that's a good question. The way that I got into it is I've always been a very loud and clear advocate for inclusionary practices. And I just realized it's one thing to speak to people about inclusivity and removing attitudinal barriers. And it's another one for them to really relate to it from a child's perspective. So I figured if I put in my passion through a storybook, then it'll be more relatable for students. And it'll also provide teachers the opportunity to spark discussion about a topic that they might not necessarily be comfortable entering without a format to help them enter that type of discussion with their students. As a teacher myself, I think we sometimes put the focus on kids to respect individuals with various abilities and barriers. And I see this myself, but do you see with yourself as a teacher and even writing this book that sometimes the teachers lack that, not education, but lack of resources when it comes to barriers that some of our students face where they may not have the resources or the know-how, how to discuss or how to bring this up with their students, even amongst themselves. Absolutely. And I think it's just because as children, we're so innocent and we're open to a lot of ideas and we're not stuck in this closed mindset yet. And as teachers, we're scared to make sure we find the right words. We're scared to make sure that we frame things appropriately. And we're not exactly used to giving students the opportunity to ask uncomfortable questions. It's, It's being comfortable with the uncomfortable. And this book kind of allows teachers to go into an area of discomfort through a vehicle that provides them the green light to do so. I think a lot of the times we forget that students' questions are are very innocent. They don't mean any harm in asking, well, why is that student acting weird? Or why is that student shaking their hands? They're naturally curious, and it's up to us to educate them so that they don't become the adults who are afraid to approach people with any disability. I agree with you 100%. And The reason why I love your book so much, because you do have your background passion of disability studies at Ryerson Mm -hmm. and which I know has a great program that really does emphasize about putting the focus not so much on the medical model and looking at what's wrong with the individual, you know, Mm -hmm. instead of blaming like, oh, what's wrong with the, the individual and trying to fix the individual. I like the focus where you put the lens of a social model 
aspect of it where you're like, what can we do as a society, as an educator, as an adult to help bring down these barriers and make the person who's, I hate to use that term, my quote unquote, but with a disability, instead of putting the focus on them, it's putting the focus on society itself. Absolutely. I think we've done a really good job in accessibility. Mm-hmm. But when I do some like night talks and I share a slide, there's a slide with, so if you picture in your head, a school, there's stairs, there's students sitting on the stairs, and then there's a ramp with a student going up using a wheelchair. And the point of that picture is to say, we've done such a good job in creating accessibility, but yet people still don't fit in. You still have all these people on the side, not even acknowledging the individual using the ramp. So we do a lot of check boxes with, are they able to access our services, but we don't do a lot of check boxes with our own minds and our own attitudes towards it. Yeah, that's a very good point because I think too that this book not only speaks for children, but there's also teachers who may have some form of an invisible disability. For sure. And I think it's a great kind of like launching point for people to use to talk about these issues. And it's great because yes, you do talk about how I agree with you where you're just using the analogy of the stairs. There's also another, not just sure if you've seen it, where it shows equality versus equity, right? Yes. yes. And what the difference is between equality and equity. And yes, that's one thing I love about this book because it really does focus on the equity. Thank you. And I wanted to kind of make it through the lens of that you can't tell what the disability is. And then a Mm -hmm. lot of times in society, you can't tell. For example, Lily has autism you can make an inference that there's something a little bit different, but not necessarily from a child's perspective. That's more of an adult kind of picking up on those cues. Yeah. And I really wanted to make it from a perspective of not seeing a disability as being scary. The two students in the book go through the process of questioning the child, questioning the teacher and learning through asking questions versus Mm -hmm. not inviting the child into their current curriculum. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Now, before we get more into this, can you just basically give our readers a little just of what your book is about? Because I don't want to read and give everybody away the book. I just, it's such a wonderful book that I'm not going to do any justice. And I want our listeners and my viewers to actually buy the book so they can actually experience it themselves. So can you just give a little background of your book to my audience? Absolutely. Thanks for asking. So the book is about two boys, Lucas and Liam, actually named after my two sons, who meet a girl named Lily, and Lily has autism. And their class was assigned, Lucas and Liam's class was assigned a coding project. And through that coding project, they created Lily, a fun coding activity, and were able to learn through that experience of engaging her through their coding project that we all communicate differently. They were able to understand that her using pictures is very similar to what they were doing with coding and the fact that you don't need to use towards communicate. There's many different formats of communication. I just realized I never gave the title. <laughs> Your book is called Hollywood <laughs> Connections. I yes. completely forgot it slipped because I'm just so excited to have you on. <laughs> it's so in my book, mind too. <laughs> I know, I know. So the book, my friends, are it's called Hollywood Connections. So sorry, Maggie. No worries. And the reason, it, actually, the funny thing with the title is it took me the longest time ever to come up with the, the title. And once I did, it was just... Of course, it makes sense, hallway connections. And the reason why I came up with that particular title is often as I'm walking the halls with my students with disabilities for a gross motor break, there's students in the hallways working or passing through. 
And we try to make those connections while we're walking through the hallway and having an opportunity for us to introduce the students with disabilities and not make it look like such a different part of the school. Hence the name Hallway Connections, about making connections while you're walking through those hallways with particular students. Now, what is your current position at the board you currently work at? I am a special education teacher in a contained classroom for adults with, not adults, I'm sorry, for students with disabilities, specifically autism and developmental disabilities. Okay. And so, and that's why I was going to ask, because with myself personally, because in my school board, we do have some ME rooms for those who don't know, it's, you know, multiple exceptionalities room and our school is different. So we actually have a lot of kids, which I prefer. And I really like that our school actually has an inclusive classroom. Nice. And so all my students I've worked with, for example, last year, I had this wonderful student who created a great bond with. He was a nonverbal autistic student. And in between breaks, it was a cool thing that we have an amazing ECE team at our school. And they created a sensory kind of hallway, like a break room Mm -hmm. um, hallway, where they created bear claws where kids can stretch and get, like you said, the motor breaks where they can just walk around Mm -hmm. and make connections. So we had these like little areas where these kids got to go spend a moment where they got to come to the classroom. Obviously, this is pre-COVID. So this is before COVID hit, but the kids loved it because especially our autistic students love these breaks because once they finish the work, they look forward to it is that they can go outside to the hallway and meet their other friends and they can get these type of breaks and they absolutely loved it. And so that's why I really love the name of this title because it's true where students do make connections with other students and they make connections with teachers who maybe, you know, may form a bond with, a close bond with, and they will see these students and they'll see these teachers and they actually have connections, which I do all the time. Absolutely. I mean, how many times as educators do we walk by the hallway and say hi to a student? And I would always challenge, if you don't ever say hi to a student, why do you feel that you don't say hi to a student? What's keeping you? Like, why are we so busy that we don't acknowledge? Sometimes you acknowledging that student is all it takes to brighten up their day. It's very... We don't realize what's really going on sometimes Mm -hmm. with the students that are not specifically in our classroom. So a simple hello doesn't cost anything, takes a couple of seconds and can really make a big impact to the whole school culture. If we all collaboratively take time to acknowledge each other's students and not just build that community within our own classroom, but remove it beyond the four walls. Absolutely. And I agree with you. And that's funny because some of my closest connections with students are not even my own students. Yeah, These are other exactly. students my colleagues work with where I have formed a close bond with yes. to the point where they come and hang out with me at lunchtime. They volunteer in my classroom. And I mean, like these are different eight grades because at my school, yes. I it's from kindergarten to grade eight. And it's through these hallways where I have had formed amazing bonds and friendships with these students who believe to this day are now going to first year university coming up and visiting me again. And I never absolutely Exactly. And some of my best experiences with other students have been in the exact same format that you're saying. And they will just come over and say, can I hang out in your room? And, or yeah. can we go for a walk together? Or they'll walk with my students. Sometimes I have a best buddy system in my classroom pre-COVID, unfortunately, where students were coming in for an art session with my students who have an exceptionality. And at first, I'll be honest, Grace, they they were hesitant. And again, it's opening that up that availability, that safe space for them to ask questions. And as 
And after a couple of times of them entering my classroom, they realized, you know what? It's not that scary. And we have to remember that when kids say the word scary or weird, they don't know how to vocalize it any differently. They're not trying Mm -hmm. to be rude. They're not trying to say, oh, I don't know what to do with that. Or actually they are saying, I don't know what to do with that student. But the words that they use, sometimes we're very quick to judge as adults, but they're just, they're trying to be mindful also of their own emotions. And we need to honor the fact that they're just not exposed to these types of opportunities. And it's up to us as educators to provide those opportunities for engagement so that we can't dismantle those barriers towards acceptance. I agree with you. I agree with you 100%. And it's funny because, well, not funny, but children, like you said, they are innocent and they don't have any malice and they don't mean, because like you said, they don't have the vocabulary to articulate what they're trying to ask. And so they don't mean it in a malicious way. No. Is that because they never had exposure? Right. And and that's why I really appreciate you coming on here and creating a book like this that basically sets a groundwork for even parents to get involved. Right. Because as myself, as a teacher, you know, a lot of times the students will ask if we have a student who may be autistic and they ask questions and I will take a time and I will make a whole day out of it explaining what autism is, how it affects people in terms differently. Right. I say mm-hmm. some of them are verbal, some are non-verbal, and I explain it in a way that doesn't make them feel bad about themselves. Because some students will yes. take and they'll feel bad that they made fun of somebody, not realize they made fun of somebody. Do For you know sure. I mean? And we For as sure. teachers have to model the appropriate language and the appropriate behavior. For sure. Like, for example, in my story, you'll see a natural progression of it. The first line starts off with that classroom is different and weird. Yeah. To then near the end of the story, the students are like, I think the the wording is the noises that, that she once made are now noises that they understand. Yeah. So it's just this natural progression of developing awareness and acceptance. They once thought that she was making these noises and they had no idea what they were. And now they're able to differentiate. You know what? When she shakes her hands and she jumps into up and down, it signifies that she's happy. Yeah, And you also see a natural progression of the teacher answering their questions to finally, when she realizes that the students are comfortable, to saying, why don't you ask Lily your question? Mm-hmm. And then changing it to Lily having a voice, mm-hmm. but recognizing also that at the beginning, it's okay to answer on behalf of Lily just to set that groundwork for an introduction. But then having to let that go and making them realize that Lily can also communicate to you, just need to learn what that means. Yeah. And it's not fair to the girl with autism for you to always be speaking on her behalf. She has a voice, may not look like your is or sound like your voice, but she has a voice. And let's let her have the opportunity to also voice her own concerns and opinions. Yeah. And right. I just want to point out really fast. There's one thing I do love about your book as well. Not only is it inclusive for individuals with various disabilities, such as autism, and you put it so eloquently in terms of using the language that really puts the emphasis on Lily as an individual rather than her disability, yes. which I really love that point. But also the inclusivity of your teacher, Miss Patel, is a woman who is wearing a traditional headscarf, which is absolutely, absolutely amazing to see because, again, you don't see a lot of books out there. No. And again, Lily is a young Black girl as well, yes. too, which is amazing absolutely. to see. So you have... You're crossing so many different, rather, you're taking away so many barriers 
um, you. and through your stories and through this book. Thank you. And that was a conscious decision in terms of, and the reason why Lucas and Liam, quite honestly, are Caucasian is because they're my children. I happen to be a woman that is Caucasian. But the other characters I really wanted to show, at the end of the day, I do reside in Ontario, Canada, and we're a very multicultural society. And I want students to be able to pick up a book and say, that's me. I wear a hijab. I don't want students to look at a book and not be able to not even see themselves in it from a positive perspective. And one of my favorite actually to date comments was as a little girl in the States who is black and pointed to her teacher and to this day gives me shivers and she goes, that's me. I look like her. Mm. And to me, that that just honestly, Grace, made all of the work put into the book so worth it because here's this child that can look at a book and see herself in it. And like you said, unfortunately, there are not a lot of books showing students of different cultures, races from a positive perspective. We can find a lot of literature from a non-positive perspective, but I didn't want to label it or even in the book, none of that is even discussed. It's just naturally immersed into the conversations. Yeah. And it's great because it does show the diversity here in Ontario, because in Canada, being such a diverse country, right, where where I teach in Toronto, I am the only Caucasian person in my classroom. Like, I am the teacher, but I'm the only Caucasian person in my classroom. And it's great to see these different kids from different ethnic backgrounds coming in from, like, Africa and, like, from, like, parts of, like, not just Africa, the content itself, but in Africa, you know, the African content, we have a young girl who's from Ethiopia, Another yes. one's from the Ivory Coast. Another one is from Nigeria. And it's amazing to see that diversity in my classroom itself. And Absolutely. like I said, I just love, I should, guys, I should really go preface and go back and correct. I meant to say hijab. My mind did go blank. And I no, do no. apologize if I came out racially insensitive. I really didn't mean to come across that way. So see, no, as teachers, absolutely. we do make mistakes. They were not perfect. Um, so Meg, I just want to ask, so this is where you got your idea from your book is being as a teacher and because your background of disability is such a great mm-hmm. passion of yours. Now, how did the process come along? Now, this is self-published, right? That's correct. Oh my, the process? <laughs> I was <laughs> going to say, can you please? Anybody, I, I encourage anybody to write a, a story, especially if you're passionate about a certain topic. It took about eight months. There were months and months, Grace, where I could not write. I Writer's block, I now realize, is, is 100% alive when you're writing anything. I refused to sit down and write for the purpose of just writing. I wanted to make a story that I truly was passionate about every page that I wrote in there. So it took about close to a year to actually format the story, write the story. And as teachers, even the simple thing as making sure that text is okay for students to to relate to. Something as simple as making sure that the A is regular A for students to be able to visually understand when they're reading a story. So there's so many components that go into it. There's things that I've also learned along the way. I personally think that some of the pages may be a little bit too long in terms of the length, Mm -hmm. but as a new writer, you learn that illustrations should probably come after you're done everything Mm -hmm. versus along the way, which was a learning process. Just like podcasting, just like podcasting. (laughs) It was something that I learned along the way, but I enjoyed writing it. And sometimes once the story came, it was just very easy to sit down and and type it out for hours and hours. But yes, Mm -hmm. it took about an entire year because I had to be in the right mindset and had that Mm -hmm. creative flow 
in order to be able to execute a story that I was proud of. Okay. So you created this book. So what was your next process to self-publish? Because I know with the world of technology now, self-publishing is easier and easier nowadays. Like absolutely go to places like Fiverr to find illustrators and just anything like now everything's in the tip of your fingers. You can find everything and anything. So what tips would you give for a teacher who maybe listening to this podcast, like myself, who's trying to get their books published? What is the first step should an individual do like myself to get the book? I would... First, just write. Google Slide is a good format if you're comfortable with it to write just because you can format it according to how many pages you want and can clearly see the layout there. I would just say first and foremost to start writing or whatever format, whatever programming you want to use, or if it's old-fashioned paper and pen, it doesn't matter. Mm -hmm. Just start writing. I always say worry about the process when you're done, but what I would recommend is really hiring yourself a book designer. Believe it or not, my book designer comes from the UK. She's She was phenomenal and she was able to load it up to Amazon for me. Now, some listeners might be able to do that process entirely on their own, which is fantastic. I unfortunately fall weak in that skill set. So I hired somebody to design the book and upload it up to Amazon KDP self-publishing website for me. But by all means, if you're adventurous enough and and tech savvy enough or patient enough, you might be able to execute that process on your own. And then lastly, obviously, is hiring an illustrator. My illustrator happens to be a 19-year-old fashion designer slash illustrator locally out of Ontario. So I try to keep the content as local as possible just to to support our Canadian businesses. Mm -hmm. But obviously, the book designer is not Canadian. But So yeah, so it would be find yourself an illustrator, find yourself a book designer, or just try to follow the format on your own. I'm sure there's many, many tutorials on how to do so. I just, like I said, that's an area of growth that I need to do if I was to do publish it on my own again. Okay. But also on Facebook, um, just Mm -hmm. to let listeners know, there's wonderful children's books forums, and it's phenomenal how many people provide you with support. And that's how I actually found my book designer. That's amazing. Um, So it's really important, I think, to join some of these groups because it is a very supportive group of people who just who have a wealth of knowledge and and can help you save a lot of time researching it on your own and also word of mouth recommendations. Okay, that's always good to know, because, yeah, like I said, I know I'm hoping that a lot of my listeners and hopefully my listener audience as more podcasts come out. And again, I appreciate you being on here. Absolutely. Um, do you have another book in the works or do we do? I do. I do. I have one on mental health and I have one on stimming. I just really believe personally for myself and, and I'm not saying that this is right or wrong. I just believe in making this one work very well before I proceed with publishing it. But I wrote a book. I thought it was important to explain to people what stimming is because a lot of the times That is, even though the disability might be invisible, that behavior happens to be visible. Mm -hmm. And that sometimes is what students are more afraid to ask questions about. Would you like just to explain briefly to those who may not be familiar with stimming? Absolutely. So some students with autism, they may flap their hands or they may just jump up and down. Uh, Stimming, we do it as adults who are neurotypical as well. If you're tapping your pen, Mm -hmm. if you're kicking your feet while you're sitting down, if you're fidgety with anything, that's all stimming. 
If you're at the photocopier machine and you're tapping your fingers on that photocopier while you're waiting for your photocopies to come out, that's that's all stimming. So I'm trying to make sure that people understand that it's a behavior that all of us do, even if we do not have a disability. It just it's more prevalent in people who have an exceptionality, specifically autism. And it's funny you say that because as you're familiar, Maggie, that when we have our students and we're doing the any type of assessment, if a child is being brought up and they will usually get an assessment package and you get it from their doctor to see yes. if this child has quote unquote autism. And every time I go through this lengthy package, it's like almost 50 pages as I'm yes. going through this. Oh my students, gosh, yes. I start to realize like, huh. I think I may have some autistic tendencies myself. For and sure. And now with technology in terms of technology and computer wise, and I think medical advancements, we're understanding more and more about what autism is. People think what autism is like back in the day, when you think of autism, people automatically think of Rayman, the movie, Dustin Hoffman. Yes. Where you had this atypical and it's a great accuracy in terms of what some of the autism, but everybody thinks it's like that. But autism can be, and as we know, there's no longer a spectrum. Like there's no longer what would the people would call the different things, right? Yes. But now autism is just under one umbrella of autism. Yes. And so it can be as mild to severe, just like anybody with glasses, right? Glasses can be super strong or they can be super weak. Oh, and absolutely. And autism now is great because that arc is so wide and they're removing a lot of those labels. And there's a couple of people I follow on TikTok myself who are these amazing professors and all these professionals who identify themselves, who've been diagnosed with autism. Yes. And they say, I have autism. This is what an individual with my type of autism looks like. And it's so great to see because it's no longer what people think autism is. Do you know what I mean? It's absolutely that stigma and that label that people automatically slap someone with autism all look and sound the same. Yes. No, absolutely. And I think that that's the whole spectrum of it's such a wide umbrella. Mm-hmm. And we're, we're so used to putting people into these categories because putting people into categories gives us the safety of a definition. And it's kind of just trying to understand, like, why are we a society where we constantly need to define ourselves by a label? I agree. And I'm not too sure about yourself, but myself as a teacher and seeing this in the last few years, you know, teaching, I believe that with the diagnosis changing and the medical terms changing, I think that teachers need to change as well to their perception of autism. And I yes. think that there needs to be more education and sensitivity training and how we go about not just dealing with kids with autism, but all forms everybody, any type of intellectual disability or any type of barrier. And I don't feel like that is not happening right now. Like, yeah. I think that's something that the school's are not really pushing. And I think that we as teachers, just like technology changes, we need to change as well. Our views and our perceptions of disabilities need to evolve. Absolutely. I agree. And so that's why I appreciate books like yours because it is putting those type of conversations out there in a way that helps those teachers who may not feel comfortable because Unfortunately, just in life, there's still a lot of stigmas. And yes, there's some teachers out there who still have that type of perceptions and stigmas on individuals with disabilities where they don't really have much of the patience. And I'm not saying they're horrible teachers. They're great teachers. They're just, they may have been 
coming from a different school of learning. Yes. And I mean, I think that the key is being available to learn. The, exactly. It, it's okay if you are still in that mindset, as long as you realize that it needs to change yes. and it needs to shift. I like to use the word shift because I find it's a much more friendlier way of approaching things. You're just going to need to like shift your thinking. If you're stuck in that mindset and you refuse to change, then you need to kind of evaluate your own unconscious biases and why is that and what's the root of that issue and how can you start to examine. And that's really the first step of unpacking your own unconscious biases and and shifting your thinking to a more inclusive approach. I couldn't have said it better myself. Thank you. So that is You're welcome. perfectly said. Now, before I let you go, I can just spend an hour or two just talking about this. So as everybody knows, who especially those teachers, we have that great saying after myself with my students, two wishes and a star. So two wishes and a star is after a student presents on any topic we're giving, two wishes about the student's presentation, like, the two things you really enjoyed about their presentation and one thing they wish they do differently. It's positive critique, but I want to switch it around. I want to do a twist to it. I want to do a teacher format of it where it's more internalizing yourself. So Maggie, instead yes. of just two wishes, if you want to give two wishes, or rather what is the star that you find, let's just say in self-publishing and publishing your book itself and a star in education and a wish. So what is this uh, oh, would you say about good question. that you really like that it took away or that people can take away from? I think what the star that I would say about my book race would be the fact that it enables the discussions for topics such as this to start. So it's, it provides that spark of a conversation. How about a star for education? Where do you wish or would, what is one thing that you are proud of as a teacher that you accomplished as where you are right now? I think being able to allow people to have uncomfortable conversations and realize that it's that we need to move into the form of being uncomfortable in order to start being comfortable. Mm -hmm. Now, actually, before I ask you about your wish, you just brought up a good topic, bring it uncomfortable. Have you had any resistance from anybody about this book? I know it's going to be a little taboo. Which has been phenomenal. I I honestly, as anybody who ever writes anything and publishes, you wait for that critique. But honestly, I have not. Okay. I just got to put it out there. I got to play the devil's advocate because sometimes. No, absolutely. We always have, you know. Or maybe, maybe I'm sure there has been. It just hasn't been something that's been raised with me personally. Okay. Good to know. Okay. Now, what is your wish? It can be about your book, education, anything. But in terms like, what is your wish for you? I think my wish for me is just people to stop judging so quickly. And if you find yourself in a position where you're in a grocery store and someone's acting differently, maybe go home and that evening reflect, meditate on why you were so quick to judge somebody. What is it that you need to still learn in order to pause yourself from judgment? That is profound. That's wonderful. Thank you. Absolutely wonderful. So Maggie, where can people find your book and information about yourself? Absolutely. So they can go to amazon.ca. Just put my name in there, Maggie Faye, or the title of the book, Hallway Connections, and you can purchase it through there. Okay. I will be posting your information on the description for this show. Thank you. And are you on Instagram, Twitter? I'm on Instagram under Maggie Faye. Uh, Same with Facebook and Twitter is at Maggie Faye underscore. 
Okay. Well, I'm so glad you guys, you got to join me today and be my first guest on my podcast. Just like you had, you're falling in the ground. I'm really hoping that with this podcast, we'll connect to the right people. So friends, I'm so glad. I'm so happy you guys got to join me on my first podcast. Congratulations. Thank you so much. Please come and join me again in two weeks where I'm going to have a special guest for Teachers Meet Teachers. And it is a great platform for teachers basically around Ontario to meet with each other. So again, until I see you guys later, stay safe, stay healthy, and keep on growing and learning, friends. Bye. Thank you. Bye, Maggie. Thank you. Today.